Section 2 of The Heirloom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christopher Collins. The Heirloom by T. Duthie Lyle. Vernwood. The demean of Vernwood was situated in a locality, which I need not particularise more definitely than to say that it occupied a romantic position in one of those English counties, of which there are four, which bordered directly on the Principality of Wales, a propinquity which had the effect of lending to the estate that charm of woodland and mountain scenery which forms one of the striking characteristics of what I will take the liberty of dubbing Bijou Britain. Although the acreage was still extensive, notwithstanding that mortgages had from time to time, by the process known among lawyers as foreclosure, lopped off certain outlying portions in order to liquidate their little claims, yet the house was not a palace, it could hardly even be said to rank among the stately homes of England. But Vernwood was above all things a home, a perfect English home, built and arranged for comfort and domesticity, rather than with any attempt at display. One of those places hallowed in the eyes of childhood, and which, when its little joys and sorrows have become merged and expanded into the cares and greater and intenser struggles of later life, we look back upon with regretful satisfaction and mellowed love. The propinquity of the mountainous principality had to another advantage, for it included the once unsuspected or unthought of, or at least neglected, presence beneath the often apparently barren surface of mineral wealth. But of this I shall have to deal at a later stage of my tale. To this enviable inheritance, an inheritance with its boundless opportunities, an inheritance which many men would have turned to splendid account, Bertram Gnault had become under somewhat peculiar circumstances the heir, the Great American War of 1860-5, between the North and South, which ended in the assassination of the patriot President Abraham Lincoln, and wiped off from the face of civilization the stupendous blot of slavery on the American continent, and brought with it the freedom of the slave, left, like many others, or appeared to leave, Hubert, father of Bertram Gnault, his heir presumptive, in the position of impoverished men. At least so thought Bertram Gnault himself, and so thought all who knew him. It was a goodly number of years since Hubert Connaught had emigrated from the old country, from the ancient ancestral home of his race, from Vernwood, at that time rapidly falling into decay, where rank wild weeds grew high about the untended lawns on which want and poverty, desolation and decay at that time seemed then to stalk rampant and ghost-like, where once upon a time the ring of childhood's merry laugh had echoed. The demon of gambling, high play and reckless living had converted what was once a home into this wilderness of rank neglected growth, while the ruinous extortion of usurers had sapped the once lordly revenues of Vernwood to the very core. Such briefly was the state of family affairs at Vernwood when Hubert Gnault, a good part of a century prior to the occurrence of the circumstances which I am relating, scraped together what little the Jews and money-lending fraternity had left him of so fair a patrimony discarded and left in the lurch the dissolute associates and boon companions whose temptations had landed him in such desperate straits, shook the dust of England and of Vernwood from his feet, and set sail for that then new world of which so many fabulous stories and so many bright accounts at that time came like echoes floating to Britain across the western seas. But it is no very easy task, humanly speaking, for a transplanted tree to take root in an alien soil, and many risks attend every such attempt. The schemes of the reformer may appear very grand in his own eyes, they may fire his own imagination with admiration as the fancied offspring of his own genius, even as we foster a natural child. 
he may affect to despise those time-tried institutions which have stood the test of centuries. But before we uproot and cast from us the respected traditions of the past, let us make quite sure that there is greater virtue to be found in the new. Hard and painful as was the snapping asunder of old ties at home, perhaps Hubert Gnold found it easier even to rid himself from the trammels of usury to become an alien and a wanderer on the face of the great new world which he had adopted, than he did to find, when there, a spot whereon his wandering foot might be stayed, or a roof above him, or a pillow whereon to lay his head. But after many vicissitudes in the foreign land, the foot of the wandering heir at length found rest. Hubert Gnaut became in those days the owner of extensive farms or plantations, and numerous slaves in the state of Virginia. From that time his wealth gotten of slave labour seemed to increase. Who had been the wife of Hubert Gnaut, whether he had a wife at all, nobody seemed to know. In the new country which he had adopted, nobody, for morals were lax in those days, seemed very much to care. Squire Gnaut, as he was called, paid his way well, was a successful planter, was reputed rich, and was rich. Moreover, having been born on English soil, he was less convinced than as if he had been reared in its mists of the righteousness of the horrid slave system upon which he throve. He believed his slaves were human, he knew that they were flesh and blood and spirit and soul, and not mere brutes and chattels with no more individuality than his cattle or his dining-room tables and chairs to be bought and sold at their owner's will. Besides, Hubert Gnaut had brought with him from the old country a strong tincture of that old feudal sentiment which believes in the retainer's right of reliance on the protection of the feudal lord, rather than in the coercive persuasion of the lash. Thus it was that the slave system as conducted on the Millbank estate, as Hubert Gnaut's Virginian property was called, was for those days an easy service, and Massa Gnaut, in the eyes of the slave population of his plantation, was something like a demigod. His slaves were well housed, well cared for, and well fed, hence he secured a corresponding return in the quantity of labour he received. Apart from all considerations of humanity, it paid him well to look to the condition of his slaves, in the same way that it pays the well-to-do British agriculturalist of today to attend to the comfort and cleanliness of his livestock. The positions are perfectly parallel. Man is oftener than not treated worse by his fellows than a brute. Although whether Hubert Gnaut had a wife or not, or if so whether she were living or dead, none seemed to know or care. His son, the young Bertram, grew up by his father's side before the world, a strong young man with apparently every advantage in life. Money supplied without stint enabled him to gratify his every desire. That his desires were none of the healthiest, the sum total of his life as I have shown him in the previous chapter will be evidence enough. But in what demagogues have called the manufacture of history, and in the course of events, all this was changed. The elements of disruption which had long been smouldering burst forth into flame, and the fiery brand of war was carried through the land. Joining the army of North Virginia, Hubert Gnault as a planter, although as we have said never too strongly convinced of the righteousness of the cause of which he was a representative and which he espoused, buckled on his armour, left his home and plantations and slaves in the doubtful care of overseers, and followed General Lee through many battles almost unscathed. In these events which have now passed into history, the old planter Hubert Gnault's stalwart young son Bertram was never far in his father's rear or from his father's side. But at the Battle of Five Forks, the last of the sanguinary struggle between North and South, Hubert Gnault fell, and the son Bertram, in the midst of all the carnage, mire, ruin and disaster which it brought, wept as he closed his father's eyes, and as through the drifting clouds the fitful moonbeams fell upon a face 
which paled and every moment grew more set and livid in the grasp of death. And on that fitful moonlit night, as the young man Bertram Gnault bent over a dying parent as he sought to stay the flow from a ghastly wound, as Hubert Gnault passed away, at the same time slavery had ceased to be a law of the United States, and all men, irrespective of creed or colour, were free. To the vanquished cause after those long five years of struggle and bloodshed, it was as if some fearful force of nature had torn up an accursed system of human bondage by the roots and scattered it as the autumn winds scatter the leaves which hang loosely on the trees. The war of emancipation was over, had been fought and lost and won, and practically young Bertram Gnault stood up on the American continent with clothes on his back, some few dollars in his pocket, it is true, but his cause forever vanquished, fallen and lost, his past obliterated and he himself to all intents and purposes ruined and hopeless. End of section 2